This yeah. must stop, and America needs to wake up. Hating Jews is hating humanity. Hating anyone is hating humanity. Hate is hate. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM, people-powered radio in L.A., 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 in Ridgecrest in China Lake, California, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Goldendale, Washington's KVGD, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and of course in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe for you every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com. Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today as we go to air some breaking news. Donald Trump's deputy attorney slash weasel, Rod Rosenstein uh, has submitted his resignation letter to President Trump. Rosenstein uh, will leave his post on May 11 and not a moment too soon. Don't let the door hit you. Where the good Lord split you, uh, Mr. Rosenstein. Uh, I'm going to try to open up the phones in a bit on whatever you might like to talk about today. We've got a lot to talk about uh, in the wake of, once again, a whole bunch of news over the past several days. Our phone number will be 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK if you want to get in line now. But first, quote, I pray for healing in this time of pain and grief, and I ask that we all do something to add more light to combat this evil darkness that's out there. Those were among the words spoken this weekend by Rob, uh, Rabbi Israel Goldstein, who was injured in the mass shooting that took place on Saturday on Shabbat and the final day of Passover at the Chabad of Poway Synagogue, north of San Diego, out here in Southern California. That's one quote that struck me today, adding more light. Here's another 
Quote, the rise of this blusterous man bewilders the educated among us, conjoins opposing politicians, agonizes our international allies, threatens minorities, spits on the disabled, and touches the hearts of those who just don't know any better. Let us stop propounding how mad this all is, but instead do something. Unquote. Those words, or at least something like them, according to her grandson, were supposedly spoken by Liselotte Hubner in Germany in 1929, after which she spent two years in a concentration camp, supposedly for having done so. Whether she actually said that uh, exactly or not, of course we can't know, but I think the warning from amid the rise of Nazi Germany from someone who was there is apt today. Nonetheless, even more so after the news of the past several days and weeks and months and, frankly, at this point, years. Speaking on ABC's This Week with George Stephanopoulos on Sunday, Republican commentator and former George W. Bush staffer, Matthew Dowd had this to say about our current president in the wake of Saturday's shooting and other right-wing extremist violence in recent days and weeks. Matthew Dowd, I was talking about it with Jim Clyburn up at the top of the show. A real pattern here. We're seeing it again and again and again spread over the Internet. Even earlier in the week in Sunnyvale, California, a man drives a car into a crowd he thinks is going to be filled with Muslims. We, this, this seems to be contagious. Well, there's all kinds of data that shows over the last few years that there's been this huge rise of radical white extremism in America. And it's actually a much bigger problem within America than radical Islam. But we spend vastly amounts more resources and dollars and manpower and police work related to radical Islam than we do to what's going on in America. So first, we have to address that problem. And this is reflective of that. Second, we have to have a real conversation. This was another example where guns are involved in America and all of these shootings where there's access to guns and what, what we kind of do. As a gun owner, I own five guns myself. Most gun owners believe we have to do something about guns. And three, I think the president needs to at some point look in the mirror and understand that the rhetoric, the words he uses in all of this, inflame this a big part of what's going on in America, give permission to the most craziest people in America, not that the president's responsible but his rhetoric adds to that, and he needs to reflect on that because the days now that we're having these shootings, not only in public places and in concerts and in places where parties are, we're having them in synagogues and mosques, mosques and Christian churches. Yeah, I don't think this president reflects much on anything. In response on Monday morning on Fox and Friends, as expected, White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders dismissed Dowd's comments during a live interview on the uh, morning show on Monday. She rebuffed questions about whether the president's rhetoric incites violence. When asked about Dowd, uh, Dowd's remarks specifically, she called the uh, insinuation that Trump uh, needs to understand how his rhetoric inflames a part of what is going on in America. She called that outrageous. I don't think anything could be further from the truth. She said this is an outrageous statement and something that is a complete misrepresentation of who the president is. Really? Is it, Sarah? The rise of right-wing extremist hate crimes has been undeniable and well-documented since Donald Trump took office. In recent months, we have had one such deadly story after another after another. Sadly, many of them have been obscured by so much else going on uh, during this presidency. 
We've uh, I've come in many many a day with uh, exactly a story like this on right wing extremist or uh, extremism around the country that I've had to dump because of uh, well any number of things from Trump's daily hateful Twitter attacks to his dangerous and damaging foreign trade policies to his cruel immigration policies to uh, the general chaos of his administration and of course to his own criminal behavior as documented at least in small part by the release of special counsel Robert Mueller's redacted report uh, just over a week or so ago. But in just the past few days alone, the rise of this type of violence in this country is undeniable. Last week, the son of a sheriff's deputy was arrested and indicted for the hate crime burning of three black churches in Louisiana on Friday Near San Francisco, as you heard Dowd uh, reference, according to police, a man who uh, plowed his Toyota into a group of pedestrians at a crowded intersection in Sunnyvale, California, on Tuesday, apparently did so in part because he thought at least some Muslims were in the group. The 35-year-old man faces eight counts of attempted murder in the episode in which eight people were injured. Three of the victims were minors. One, a 13-year-old girl, remains in critical condition over the weekend. The chief of the Sunnyvale uh, Department of Public Safety said at a news conference on Friday afternoon and that uh, further evidence obtained by the police suggested that the man, quote, intentionally targeted the victims based on their race and his belief that they were of the Muslim faith. He added that the man had picked up some food and that he was on his way to deliver the food to his Bible study group. Well, how very Christian of him. The chief assistant DA of Santa Clara County said at the Friday news conference that there was, quote, very appalling and disturbing evidence that at least one of the two victims were targeted based on the defendant's view of what their race or religion may have been. And, of course, in Southern California, north of San Diego on Saturday, the worshipers of Chabad of Poway were nearing the end of Passover, the sacred Jewish celebration steeped in ancient freedom, when a modern terror walked in the door, according to the San Diego Union-Tribune's coverage, a man armed with an assault-type rifle opened fire Saturday, killing one woman, injuring three other people, including an eight-year-old girl, in what local authorities at least describe as a hate crime. The alleged shooter was arrested after fleeing the synagogue. He is the apparent author of a long anti-Semitic open letter detailing his, quote, disgust for Jews and his admiration for the perpetrators of other mass shootings, including the gunman who killed 11 people at a Pittsburgh synagogue six months ago to the day on Saturday. The shooter or someone with the same name, at least, posted that anti-Semitic open letter on a far-right message board hours before the attack. The victim who died in that attack was identified on Saturday as 60-year-old Lori Gilbert Kay. The three injured people were 57-year-old Rabbi Israel Goldstein, 34-year-old Almag Peretz, and 8-year-old Noya Dahan. A 19-year-old man with an assault-style rifle entered the synagogue on Saturday and opened fire on the people inside, according to law enforcement and witnesses. Danny Almong, a witness, uh, told NBC7, We didn't hear him screaming or saying anything. He was just focused to kill. He had a vest and he had clips in the vest. He was ready. He was ready. He came to kill. 
The suspect was apprehended while fleeing a few miles from the synagogue. He is reportedly a student at Cal State San Marcos. NBC reports that as the gunman opened fire at the Chabad synagogue on Saturday, worshipers reportedly took action to save lives. Oscar Stewart, a congregant who uh, confronted the gunman, told NBC News that as an Army veteran he served in Iraq, he ran toward the gunfire without thinking. He said, I must have scared him because he dropped his weapon and he ran away. So it appears... That he may, it, this may have been a case, another case of a good guy without a gun who helped keep the carnage down from what it otherwise might have been. As the shooter fled, what was initially reported as an off-duty Border Patrol agent working as a security guard at the synagogue fired several shots at the fleeing suspect but missed him. Uh, though there has been some conflicting reporting on that, and I hope to get that cleared up with my guest in a moment. Democratic U.S. Congressman Scott Peters, uh, who represents Poway, posted on social media noting the Saturday shooting marks six months to the day of the Tree of Life synagogue shooting in Pittsburgh. Boy, which seems a lot longer ago than that. Uh, that also took place during Saturday Shabbat services. That took the lives of 11 people and injured seven others in what is now regarded as the deadliest attack on the Jewish community in the U.S., U.S. history. The 19-year-old shooter in uh, Southern California, who authorities said gave himself up to police after carrying out the deadly attack in the synagogue, uh, is also under investigation in connection with an unsolved mosque arson. So, if true, it appears this man hates both Jews and Muslims. That's nice. The suspect, in uh, what is being reported as his posted manifesto, claimed to have set that nearby mosque on fire last month and professed drawing inspiration from the gunman who killed nearly 50 people at two mosques in New Zealand just weeks ago. San Diego County Sheriff Bill Gore said police and FBI were investigating the man's possible involvement in that March 24 pre-dawn arson fire at the Islamic Center of Escondido. That's about 15 miles north of Poway. Fortunately, no one was hurt at that mosque fire. At the time of that fire, local media reported that a message scrawled on the driveway of the mosque mentioned the New Zealand massacre. San Diego County Sheriff's Department uh, officials issued a statement saying the gunman in Saturday's attack was believed to have acted alone and that there, quote, are no known threats to religious gatherings. On Sunday, Rabbi Israel Goldstein, who lost his finger in the shooting, told reporters, we will stand tall. We will not let anyone or anything take us down. Joining us now to discuss all of this is the man who initially broke the story of that mosque fire late last month and who has been on the scene all weekend as well, covering the shooting at the uh, synagogue the Chabad Synagogue of uh, Poway. My friend and NBC7 San Diego reporter Malone, uh, Ramon Galindo joins us now with the latest. Uh, Ramon, thanks for taking the time to join us on the broadcast today, my friend. Yeah, it's really good to be with you, Brad. And now that you mentioned the mosque, I just want to let you know that mm -hmm. in the last hour, the prosecutors here in San Diego County have actually charged uh, the 19-year-old suspect with uh, that arson charge of that arson in Escondido. They've mm. also charged him with 
a count of murder with a hate crime enhancement mm-hmm. and gun allegations, as was uh, three counts of attempted murder with a hate crime and gun allegation. And he is gonna he is scheduled to answer to those charges tomorrow afternoon here in San Diego. Excellent. Thanks for that update, uh, Ramon. What was, uh, since I know you covered this originally, I think you broke this story uh, on that mosque uh, fire. What what was it that was scrawled on the pavement at the time that tied that incident to the uh, to the New Zealand shootings? Sure. It seems like he did reference uh, that note that he left behind in the manifesto. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, authorities didn't tell us exactly. I spoke to uh, investigators. I spoke to uh, members of the Muslim community mm-hmm. uh, that generally gave me a sense, didn't tell us exactly what it said, but mm. uh, saying that he drew inspiration from these uh, New Zealand mosque attacks that we saw abroad. So he was inspired by that. And then a month later or so, we see this attack on, on a different faith, on the Jewish faith. And the same thing uh, in this same attack, uh, as you mentioned in the manifesto, he's uh, spewing a lot of anti-Semitic hate, and the words that he said exactly inside of the synagogue on uh, on Saturday are still uncertain, but it it looks like it had an anti-Semitic message, and it looks like they were uh, targeted specifically because of their faith, according to what witnesses and what investigators are telling us so far. Well, message sent and received very clearly, uh, I'm afraid. Uh, Ramon, I know you've been speaking with with folks all weekend out there in Poway, including the rabbi uh, at the synagogue and many of the congregants. I wanted to ask you about several of them, but how, in general, how is the community generally reacting right now to this shooting? Uh, What sense are you getting? Is it fear, anger, resolve? What what sense are you getting out there? Sure. Well, I can tell you right now, as we speak, uh, a funeral, a memorial service is being held for the person who died in this, Lori Kay, 60-year-old woman. And from what I believe, her husband is uh, set to speak about her right now. Uh, but so far, we've seen a lot of uh, support for the community there in Poway. Uh, the, it's, Poway is about 50,000 people. Mm-hmm. This is totally suburbia, really safe place. This, this is the type of place where people move to because they want their kids playing on safe streets and going to good schools. So this is a quiet place. They're not used to this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, police all over the place, media mm-hmm. all over the place. But in the immediate aftermath, uh, the Jewish community throughout San Diego County has really come together, and people really of all faiths have come and, and shown their support. And so far... Uh, the community here hasn't shown any fear because, as you mentioned, or as we've been talking about, this mosque arson from a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, uh, law enforcement throughout San Diego County has been high, on high alert all over the place, uh, patrolling, you know, not just mosques, but churches and synagogues. So law enforcement have already been on heightened alert, uh, but so far the community has, you know, in, in a sense, been defiant and not allowing you know, these acts of violence to really 
uh, determine how they how they act and how they worship. Ramon, you say that it is a a, a peaceful community. They wouldn't expect something like this, and yet. Uh, this mosque fire did uh, happen just a few weeks ago. Uh, I know an area near there, uh, there, there was a, a fight, uh, a long fight over a, um, well, what people had categorized as a, the building of a Muslim mosque turned out to be actually a, a Hindu temple, uh, as I recall. Uh, over some years, um, you know, many folks up here in L.A. sort of think of San Diego as more Republican. Uh, but I note I noted that the district where the synagogue now is is represented by uh, by a Democrat in Congress right now. Is this a is this a right wing area, a, a, a Republican area, Democratic area, or is that not even something that 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 comes comes into play here at the moment or ever in this particular area, as far as you know? Uh, well, I would say that the uh, northern part of San Diego County is uh, does tend to lean a little bit more conservative. It has become much more diverse mm-hmm. in the last several years. Uh, so I would say that it's pretty evenly split in, in this area that uh, that we saw there. So uh, the the reaction has been mixed. Obviously, there's going to be some uh, political reaction to this. I've already mm-hmm. I can already see some of the gun um, Gun control advocates trying to use this as a as a way to I guess get tougher on gun rules and at the same time uh, you know I know you mentioned that there was a good guy with a gun but there was also the the whole factor of the off duty border patrol agent shooting at the suspect so no I mean I, I actually I mentioned there was a good a good guy without a gun that was Iraq right. vet Oscar Stewart I want to ask you about him but yeah you mentioned that there was also that off duty border patrol officer who ended up firing at the suspect as he left correct. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's still uncertain where this gun came from, and uh, we've been trying to talk with this Border Patrol agent. He he is one of the few people who hasn't uh, talked to the media. But, yeah, you mentioned the the unarmed Iraqi war veteran, Oscar mm-hmm. Stewart. He, when everyone was running out of the synagogue, he ran straight to them. And, uh, I mean, he was just a really compar- compelling character in this whole story because, uh, because of his military service, uh, he knew that this uh, young man who had a long AR-15 rifle, if he would, if he could get close enough to him, uh, the young man wouldn't be able to shoot him because it's not a close-range weapon. Mm. So his military uh, experience kicked in, but he says that he yelled at him so loud that the young man just got scared and then <laughs> put the gun down and started running. Is it fair to say that he was really uh, the hero? I mean, I know there's a lot of heroes in this story, but is he the, the hero that first confronted this guy and and uh, essentially stopped the shooting right then and there, and that led him to, to, to stop firing and, and start finding an exit at that point? Oh, yes. Oscar Stewart's definitely uh, been dubbed the hero of this story. Uh, we've done a couple of interviews with him. Obviously, he's very modest about it and doesn't want to be called the hero, but he's definitely considered... A hero here. Not only did he get uh, the shooting to stop and chase the gunman out, but once the gunman ran out into his car, he, according to Oscar Stewart, I spoke to him a couple of times yesterday, it, it looked like the gunman was reaching for the rifle again, mm. but Oscar Stewart punched the car as hard as he could, <laughs> and it seemed like that spooked the suspect a little bit. Then he started the car and just got out of there. In those seconds, that's when the Border Patrol agent came out. And according to Oscar Stewart, the Border Patrol agent told him to stand back. 
that he had a gun, and then the agent shot at the suspect, didn't hit the suspect, but did hit his car a couple of times, and then he, he was arrested down the road a few minutes later by a, a police officer who was responding to the initial shooting. Uh, fast work by that uh, Border Patrol officer in uh, getting Oscar Stewart out of the way. Uh, otherwise, he could have been shot himself, it sounds like, uh, as I understand the situation. Uh, it should also be noted, uh, as I understand it, and you can confirm, uh, Lori uh, Gilbert Kay, uh, who was killed here, I understand that she was uh, uh, initially a, uh, a longstanding, uh, a founding member of the, the congregation, and that she had reportedly shielded the rabbi. Rabbi Goldstein uh, said that because of her sacrifice, that bought time for others to get the, the the little children out of the way, out of the room. Can you confirm any of that, Ramon? Sure, yeah. I mean, Lori today, she is definitely being considered one of the heroes. The rabbi says that uh, he took a bullet for, for him and took a bullet for everyone there. So she she's definitely being hailed as a hero. There was uh, the little girl who suffered a shrapnel wound. Thankfully, she's out of the hospital now and the other mm-hmm. young men. But uh, from witness accounts, it does seem like there were a lot of witnesses inside of the temple and that the gunman was pointing that way. From the witnesses that talked to me, they remember hearing just a real quick succession of, of shots, bang, 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 then screaming, then another bang, 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 and then it stopped. So, uh, you know, everything's still under investigation and and, and some of these facts might change, but definitely it does appear that her being in the position that she was did save quite a bit of lives. Her, and in combination with the scare that Oscar Stewart appears to have put into the gunman, uh, that definitely prevented a lot of loss of lives yes, on Saturday. I'm speaking with Ramon Galindo. He is a reporter for NBC7 in San Diego, has been covering this Poway shooting all weekend long, uh, is kind enough to take some time out for us today. i uh, got another uh, question or two for you before I let you go, Ramon. You know, it seems that the, the person we may know the least about right now is the shooter. And as listeners may have noticed, I have not mentioned the guy's name here. I've been trying to avoid that in these types of stories. Uh, I used to uh, have sort of a policy of saying it at least once, once the person was identified. Uh, Now I try to avoid even doing that because as we saw, the shooter on Saturday reportedly got his inspiration for these crimes from the mosque shooter in New Zealand who killed some 50 Muslims about a month ago, as well as the shooter at the uh, Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, which killed uh, 11 uh, six months ago. Um, do you, uh, Ramon, and I guess NBC San Diego as a whole, do you have any sort of policy in that regard? I notice you have not said his name either. Um, and, and, you know, because I've, I have a concern that making superstars out of these killers is actually part of the problem here. Uh, what are your thoughts on that personally? And, and is there such a, a policy at NBC San Diego when it comes to that? Yeah, there is a well, there is a definitely a policy, you know, that's uh, between our organization. But my ethical standards are, are very similar to where we do. We don't want to glorify uh, the gunman, and in many cases, that's really what he's going for. So uh, we've definitely identified him. Uh, we're not making too much of a reference uh, towards him, trying to focus on the victims. But obviously, we we are going to cover him. It is it is important to give a little bit of his background as well. And we know that tomorrow he's gonna uh, he's gonna be in court. And it's natural for people to 
have the question and I had it myself mm -hmm. on Saturday. Why? Why is this happening? And and through this investigation, there uh, the police are gonna or or prosecutors are gonna eventually find out what happened. Some interesting things about the gunman is that he actually called nine one one on himself. Yeah. Uh, when he was pulled over by police, he gave up uh, very peacefully. He still had the rifle in his uh, passenger seat, so he could have very easily fired at the officers, but he did not. Uh, another thing that we found out today from the FBI is that they actually did receive an online anonymous tip and an anonymous phone tip mm. uh, five minutes before this synagogue attack. That's all that they've told us so far. We don't know who... Uh, who made this call or uh, who made the anonymous online thing. Uh, and then we also have to look at where this weapon came from. Uh, at the time, right now, we're not even... The sheriff told us that it was an AR-15 style mm -hmm. type weapon. So uh, what type of weapon or any accessories he put on there, it's unsure. And where he got it, still uncertain. So uh, still a lot of unanswered questions about how this young man committed this atrocity and today his family put out a statement also saying that they don't support this uh they've gotten some pretty high price legal counsel so it's going to be really interesting how this uh case actually plays out in the courts so far right now prosecutors have sealed all the search warrants so we're going to have to way at uh, for the trial to kind of start moving forward to get a lot of those details. Yeah, the uh, parents issued a statement expressing horror and grief, disavowing their son. They said our son's actions were informed by people we do not know and ideas we do not hold. How our son was attracted to such darkness, they say, is a terrifying mystery to us. Uh, Ramon, do we, so do we even know at this point if... Uh, if the shooter was able to purchase this weapon legally, and if so, how can it be that a guy that you that you can't buy a beer? He's 19 years old. You can't buy a beer unless you are 21 out here. But apparently, you can purchase a military-style assault weapon and thousands of rounds of ammo without anybody seemingly even raising a red flag. Yeah, that's right. And we're still uncertain what uh, authorities found inside of his home. So there's potential that he added more ammunition there, perhaps more weapons. Right now, we just know about this. AR-15, but uh, the Iraq War veteran, Oscar Stewart, who talked to me, uh, I mean, it seemed like he was describing some accessories that he had on the gun that would make it very military-like. I mean, Oscar Stewart, mm. uh, it seemed like he had seen this in a war zone, so he knew exactly what to do. And this is a type of weapon of war that this young man brought into the synagogue. <sighs> And uh, we have way too many of those, uh, apparently more than one for every living individual in this country. Something's got to be done. Ramon Galindo, I really appreciate your, uh, your joining us, taking some time out to help us understand this story. Uh, in Georgia, reporting over the weekend, of course, as I always do. And I'm always happy to find a, uh, an excuse to speak with you, my friend. I just wish it was in better circumstances. You can find Ramon Galindo, of course, over at NBC7 in San Diego. That's NBCSanDiego.com. And on the Twitters at Ramon Galindo NBC, if I'm remembering that correctly. That's right, Brad. Really good to be with you. And just uh, before I say bye, remembering the rabbi's words, let's do uh, kind acts for each other. That's really going to help out a lot. 
Excellent advice. Thank you, my friend. Really appreciate it. Ramon Galindo, thanks much. All right, we're going to uh, take a quick break here. We'll come back. If you want to talk about that, i got a lot to talk about today. But if you want to talk about this, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Our phone number is 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, a whole bunch of other stuff I had hoped to talk about today. But just, you know, one incident after another after another that we are seeing like this. You know, after years of being told that, oh, we need to be concerned about uh, international terrorism, Muslims. And, of course, every time one of these incidents come up, uh, incidents come up, it drives me absolutely nuts because I remember as if it just happened yesterday back in the early days of the Barack Obama administration when the right and Fox News were furious because the DHS put out a study as a draft version of a study warning about the rise of right wing extremism, white supremacy, uh, 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 veterans who were suffering from PTSD and the dangers they may pose. Right, uh, Fox News and the right threw a fit about that and eventually forced the Obama administration to their shame to actually uh, pull back that report, to actually withdraw that draft report. Mind you, the report itself was begun during the George W. Bush administration, and just a few months earlier, the, the administration had come out with a, uh, a report about left-wing terrorism and the rise of left-wing extremism, and there was not a peep about that. But because this was on the right, and by the way, they ended up disbanding, as I understand, uh, that office at DHS who had put together that report in the first place. Here we are years later seeing one report after another of exactly what that uh, study had been warning about back in the early days of Barack Obama. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back with some of your calls on this. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. 818-985-KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Taking your calls at 818-985-5735. Uh, it wasn't just that report, by the way, that I mentioned uh, that was withdrawn by the uh, Barack Obama administration under pressure, the report on the rise of right-wing extremism. Uh, but even under the uh, Donald Trump administration, just uh, earlier this month, very beginning of April, the Department of Homeland Security has disbanded a group of intelligence analysts who focused on domestic terrorism, according to The Daily Beast. Numerous current and former DHS officials say they find the development concerning as the threat of homegrown terrorism, including white supremacist terrorism, is growing. 
This is a report from Betsy Woodruff over at Daily Beast. In the wake of this move, she writes, officials said the number of analytic reports produced by DHS about domestic terrorism, including the threat from white supremacists, has dropped significantly. People in and close to the department said that this has generated significant concern at headquarters. One former intelligence official told the Daily Beast it's especially problematic given the growth in right-wing extremism and domestic terrorism we are seeing in the U.S. and abroad. The group in question was a branch of analysts in DHS's Office of Intelligence and Analysis. That's I and A. They focused on the threat from homegrown violent extremists and domestic terrorists. The analysts there shared information with state and local law enforcement to help them protect their communities from these threats. And it is those uh, threats, those reports with local uh, state and local law enforcement that has apparently dropped off since the disbanding of this group. Uh, As usual, the Trump administration denies we've changed anything. We've just made it better. We've reorganized to make it better. DHS claims. Let's get to some of your calls. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Uh, Mike in Los Angeles. Hey, Mike, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hey, Brad. My call was prompted by your comments about the uh, chief enabler of our crackpot in chief, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Uh, In the meantime... There's a lot of enablers of that guy, but yeah, okay, we'll call her the chief right now. Go ahead. But I, I want to thank you for a couple of things you did in the Poway segment. One is not to call the shooter a man, gun or otherwise, because I think uh, guns have become a sort of a counterfeit masculinity symbol. Mm. And the other is, uh, not to have mentioned his name, of course. Uh, Mm. Well, Go ahead. I think that sort of uh, encourages uh, the less balanced individuals in society to think there's something all right about killing someone from a safe distance, which is the absolute refutation of everything manhood has ever stood for in the thousands of years we have been human beings. Thanks, Mike. I do appreciate your thoughts on that. Uh, Well put. Uh, Let me go to uh, Lynette in uh, Los Angeles. Hey, Lynette, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, Brad. Thanks for taking my call. And thank you for just being on point like you do. Thank you. You know, doing your due diligence, you and your crew. And uh, I just think that we're going to have to hold Facebook, Twitter, and these gun manufacturers accountable. I was reading in the Daily Breeze, uh, April the 12th, and this is an, uh, a ruling that's been in effect for over a month, I think. But the U.S. District Judge Roger Benitez overturned a state nearly 20-year-old ban late last month on uh, magazines. It's going to be a million-plus of extended magazines flooding California, and the Attorney General said it's going to be like the Wild Wild West. It's Ruger Firearms that said it was releasing entire inventory. South Carolina-based Armory announced and said that the, that they warned that the delays are due to a high demand that's been uh, on their Facebook ads. And he says that we're going to be prepared to send a whole lot of freedom to our friends in California. See, so... This is what we're up against. We have a, a violent culture and a, a gun culture that is as old as America itself. Now you know, that we're fighting, and then you put hate with it, and then you put a, a you know you put a, a lot of ignorance, mm-hmm. especially with the, the uh, with uh, uh, illegitimate press uh, Trump. Mm-hmm. You know who's who's 
always trying to start a constitutional crisis. They need to put a muzzle on him, like censor him like they tried to do uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi, okay? He's inciting the violence, okay? See, so we have to resist and, and go to refusefascism.com and divestsoho.org uh, to uh, divest from uh, Trump's uh, investments at his hotels, at least after our pension well, you know, Lynette, there is a way there is a way that Democrats in Congress can put, you say, put a muzzle on this guy. Uh, they can begin impeachment proceedings. They're taking their sweet oh, yeah. time about it. I don't know until what the hell they're waiting that, for. But what's that? But until they do that, we can yeah. we can get him censored like they try to do Pelosi. OK. And then we because right now they're still looking at, you know, information from the Mueller report and what have you to make a concise, you know, declaration mm-hmm. on if they should uh, proceed with impeachment or not. And, you know, of course, we all know that he needs to be impeached. They know it, too, but they want to be really, really sure. So I'll give them that. But until then, they need to, to muzzle him and, and then put him on restriction of some kind. Uh, <laughs> put him on a timeout. Let, Lynette, let me ask you this before I let you go, because I know a lot of people want to get in here on this. But uh, you mentioned at the top of your comment uh, holding the gun manufacturers and social media, Facebook and Twitter, et cetera, accountable. Now, the gun manufacturer, good news-ish on that is that uh, some of the families from Sandy Hook have been allowed now to move ahead with their case against some of the gun manufacturers who have been given dispensation by Congress that no other manufacturers have uh, about their deadly uh, uh, products, but under state law, they've been able to move ahead and uh, the look after <laughs> what these Praise gun ma- the manufacturers That's are putting out. Uh, but uh, so maybe we'll see something there. But you mentioned Facebook and Twitter. Uh, what can be done? What do you are you suggesting should be done about Facebook and Twitter? We have uh, free speech in this country. Oh uh, yeah. I'm what, not, I'm not what are you getting at? Have have censorship. But, you know, when you get to it, I mean, they have been liable for breaking, unless Facebook has a consent decree in 2011. You know, they're kind of like the, one of those corporations that do their wrong doing mm-hmm. and apologize for it and do it again. And, you know, that's, they, they're monopolists, okay? Mm-hmm. And then, first, first of all, second of all, they promulgate hate. I mean, they have a, a situation in Burma where they instigated the whole uh, Rohingya um refugee crisis, you know, with all that hate and everything on their platforms and algorithms. Yeah, but did they... But did they... Policing here in, in L.A., they were part of predictive policing, you know, about who's the criminal, who ain't, according to race. See, so and the NAACP is dealing with that, you know, uh, with them on that. So we just got to do our due diligence and resist. Right. You know, I appreciate this that. A, this is outrageous. Because uh, I was going to say, did they do that or did we do that? But you're you're right. If it comes to the way data is used and shared between these companies, Facebook and law enforcement, et cetera, uh, maybe that argument can't be made. Lynette, I appreciate your yeah, call. Uh, good to hear from you. And uh, thanks you for too. speaking up. All right. Uh, 818-985-5735 is our phone number. And it was 10 years ago today, was it, Desi Doyen? You said uh, the um, yes. DHS or the, uh, 10 uh, years ago this month 
It was was 10 years ago this month that the Obama Department of Homeland Security issued that horrible dire report about the growing uh, extremist violence in America that was mainly uh, from right-wing domestic terrorists. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, this is from an opinion, an op-ed that was posted today over WHYY, and they said on page 7, quote, this is what the report said, quote, DHS has concluded that white supremacist lone wolves pose the the most significant domestic terror threat because of their low profile and autonomy, separate from any formalized group. Well, that sounds prescient, doesn't it? Yes. And, uh, and of course, Fox News and Sean Hannity and Republicans in Congress forced the Obama administration to withdraw that report. And to the, their eternal shame, they did. And as, again, uh, the, the report that had come out weeks earlier uh, on right wing, I'm sorry, on uh, left wing, I guess, extremism, that report apparently still stands. Not a problem. Let's go to uh, Jane in uh, San Diego. Hey, Jane, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, thank you. Um, my comment was because you guys are, or not you guys, but I guess everybody is talking a lot about extremism and how it comes from the right wing. But what people really need to focus on is that in order for this to stop happening, it's to eliminate extremism on all levels and from all social groups, mm-hmm. because that's where it comes from, not just this one group. Yeah. No. And listen, I agree. I said at the the top of the show, uh, hate is hate. It doesn't matter where it comes from. It uh, it makes us all uh, less great. A certain political group is having a political agenda and clearly political agendas, whether you're left wing or right wing, you can agree that they don't help what's happening. But Jane, let me ask you this. Uh, No, well, they don't. But don't we also need to call out? I mean, we've heard for years from the right. Oh, you need to you can't just call it terrorism. You have to call it Muslim extremism or whatever it is. Uh, Don't we uh, actually do a favor to the bad guys by not noting that? Yes, this was a right winger. Yes, the guy, uh, the shooter in, in Pittsburgh. Uh, was a, a Donald Trump fan, the guy who sent out all of those bombs to all the uh, folks in the media and in Congress who uh, they perceived to be supporter or opponents of Donald Trump, that that was a, a Trumpist, a right winger, a Republican. Don't we need to call those folks out as well so we understand where this hate is coming from, Jane? I mean, we do need to understand where this hate is coming from, but in reality, we need to understand why this hate is coming up at all, because in the end, that's all coming from political debate because we are all just pointing fingers at each other and we want to these extremists just want to know who's right and who's wrong in the end acting like this is just proving proving everyone wrong well jane we've had political debates in this country you know since our founding and before it and yes uh, one of those times it did uh, result in a war but i mean you know, it's clear that there is uh, political disagreement, but you, 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 is that what you are blaming for what has happened? Political disagreement? No, obviously not. I think political disagreement is what's causing us to not move forward and actually create change. And as a member of the San Diego community, yeah. now I see how the way the way that this country is focusing on all the wrong things, you know, because now that it's actually happened to my community, literally just a few blocks away, mm-hmm. you know, we see that 
we need to take a different approach to this change that we're all desperately hoping for. Yeah. And clearly, involving so much politics, although necessary, is not the way to go. How should we move forward, Jane? What would you like to see happen now? You know, Rabbi Goldstein mentioned spreading light onto the nations, and obviously that's maybe it is obviously very realistic, but I think that's the approach we should take within politics and within our day-to-day lives rather than having this agenda that's like bringing in the two-state solution and all these things that really just don't make sense to talk about even. It's yeah, about- but we have to we have to take action, Jane, you know, and I, I do understand what you are getting at. Uh, on the other hand... Yes, but taking action is coming together as a community mm-hmm. and realizing, yes, this kid should not have a gun. Right. 19 years and, old, and that, shouldn't we that, change the laws to make it impossible for someone like that to uh, be able to legally purchase that? To also acknowledge that, you know, that Border Patrol agent had a gun, and maybe he didn't, you know, get the get the suspect, but in the end, he did do something for him, for, for not for him, but for the community that's grieving because of Lori. Yes, I understand. Uh, it was some. It was a good guy without a gun that initially stopped the killer, according to all of the so reports. And by is, the way, why that is gun. The good guy with, why is the good guy with the gun any less than the good guy without? I, I'm not saying he's any less, but I'm saying it wasn't a good guy with a gun, as has been argued by uh, so many on the right. That you know we can't change any of our gun laws whatsoever. We can't have universal background checks. We can't check in on some who buys thousands of of, uh, rounds of ammunition on the Internet because that would somehow violate their constitutional rights. Uh, This argument is made all the time, and I believe it's false. I believe it's meant to simply help the NRA and the the gun industry not to spread the light and love that I believe, Jane, you are in favor of. I mean, that's all I'm in favor of because as a member of this community, yeah. That's what needs to happen. And yesterday at the vigil, we saw that happening with everybody holding their candles up in the air, Israeli flags being waved high, and it's all space coming together to advocate for peace. Thanks, Jane. I appreciate that call. Uh, And I I might have gone on longer there with Jane, but her phone was uh, crackling uh, a lot and it was getting hard to hear. But I do appreciate the call very much. Uh, Jane, there is, by the way, uh, some uh, uh, I didn't get the uh, chance to speak about it with Ramon about the specifics on it. There's some question whether the Border Patrol agent uh, who fired against the car and happily did not shoot the Iraqi vet who had stopped the shooter initially uh, where that gun came from, uh, whether it was a gun that was kept inside the synagogue uh, for safety purposes uh, or whether the Border Patrol agent brought it with him. it's The reporting has remained unclear on that. The, I might be able to shed a little bit more yeah. light on it, but it is still not exactly clear. But the uh, Rabbi Goldstein, in an interview with, N- with NBC earlier today, had said that uh, this was the Border Patrol agent was someone who had recently discovered his Jewish heritage and actually drove hours to go to that particular mm. synagogue to sort of reacquaint himself with his heritage and his faith, and that the rabbi had had actually asked him, hey, while you're here worshiping, please go ahead and arm yourself because we never Mm. know what's going to happen. And just to have you there would make us all feel more comfortable if you're going to be there 
please go ahead and bring your gun. So That's he, what the rabbi said. It's unclear, you know, if that is exactly what happened in this particular instance, but well, he said overall. I'm not well. going to call the uh, rabbi a liar there, Desi Doyen, <laughs> so. unlike you. I will take a quick break. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, so he was both a worshiper and a, uh, a security guard. Perhaps that explains the varying reports we've seen on that. Quick break, and we're back with more of your calls on the broadcast. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. I'm Brad Friedman. We'll be right back. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman of bradblog.com. So how much do you blame this president for this undeniable rise in right-wing hate crimes in this country and, frankly, around the world at this point? 818-985-5735 is our phone number. And where does all of this end? Especially with a president who is now openly defying congressional attempts at oversight by instructing his executive branch uh, officials and former officials to not answer lawful subpoenas by Congress. I had hoped to talk about that a little bit today. I guess that's going to have to wait. And, oh, there's uh, this matter of uh, whether we'll be able to have a legitimate election at all in 2020, given new revelations from uh, Special Counsel Mueller and finally over the weekend, Senator Marco Rubio about interference in the 2016 election that we still have done nothing about other than make things worse, including, by the way, here in Los Angeles, where we're about to uh, we're, we're moving to 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen ballot marking device systems here before the 2020 election. So as a whole bunch of other states and jurisdictions like Philadelphia, the state of Georgia, all of that's going to have to wait for another day, though, because I know a lot of you want to ring in here. Let me go to our friend uh, Morris in Long Beach. Won't make him wait until the very end this time around for a change. Hey, Mo, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. Hey, uh, Brad, I got to tell you, yesterday, uh, KPFK, uh, Middle Eastern Focus, they had an outstanding program regarding the Israelis and the Palestinian occupation. And mm-hmm. uh, One of the voices that uh, that I heard was a guy named Rabbi uh, Rosenstein. I hope I'm saying his name correctly. And he was describing the core of Judaism. He says that in Judaism, it stands with the oppressed, and they speak truth to power. It's a global spiritual peoplehood. The liberation is a, of a liberation tradition of the oppressed. And I tell my wife, said, honey, I want to be one of them. And, uh, <laughs> and, and he distinguished between Zionism and Judaism, the differences. Maybe start thinking of the differences between American exceptionalism and, and uh, inalienable rights to other people. But you know what, man? I, uh, Jewish people got it right, man. They really, really do. You've got to distinguish though, between Zionism and Judaism because Zionism is a political thing, right? Yeah. The Lord had it right with these people, y'all. Y'all can get jealous if you want to, but he had it right. Thank you, Brett. Thank you, Morris, uh, and welcome aboard. We will welcome you uh, this weekend at the synagogue. I won't be there, but you will be welcome if you'd like to stop by. 818-985-5735. Let's go to uh, Bill. Where am I here? Bill in Lake Elsinore. Hey, Bill, welcome to the broadcast, sir. 
Hi, Brad. Thank you very much. Sure. Our thoughts and prayers, right, once again? Oh, there you go. That's what, that's what we can send. That's how we'll solve this. Some more yeah, thoughts, some more for, uh, prayers. That'll do it. Good luck, world. Hey, I heard a brilliant linguist on KPFK say, if it's profitable, highly profitable, it will exist in America. And I'm just, you know, politicians seem to do absolutely nothing whatsoever. They don't even want to touch this because the profits are so immense in these, you know, two, three hundred year old technology that costs three, four bucks to manufacture. Mm. And they can't believe what people will pay in this nation for yeah. just basically, you know, a Something you just go kill your fellow citizen with. Yeah, I know, and but you know what? Let me let me, uh, and I know this somewhat goes against what Jane had said, but you said politicians, you know, don't want to do anything. That is not true. Republican politicians do not want to do anything, and this is not a matter of liking Republicans or liking Democrats better than Republicans. This is what I think is important. We need to tell the truth over our public airwaves, and the fact of the matter is, it has been Republicans period, and Republicans only who have been blocking any type of uh, gun safety reform for year after year after year, despite the mounting carnage. And so, yeah, politicians are failing us. But in this case, specifically, sorry to say, it is Republican politicians who need to be called out and or voted out of office for it, Bill. Yeah, but they don't seem to eat it. It doesn't bother them as long as it's not their family. Yeah, and, uh, I don't know. I don't see any changes in this because the profits are so huge. And everybody's mentality, the gun perverts mentality is, you know, they want to get in a situation where they can just blow people away. Yeah. It's a sickness. It is. And, um, I, you know, I, I, if, 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 they, if they have, if, if it ever came down to it, I don't know how you clean up this mess. How would we clean up this mess? Uh, vote him the hell out of office, Bill. That's what I'll say. Uh, i got to run because I'm coming up at the top Thank of the hour, and I want to get in a couple of quick calls very quickly. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate it. Uh, this is going to have to be fast. Let me go to Marlene in Valley Village. Hey, Marlene. Hey, Brad. Thanks a lot. appreciate it. One thing not being talked about is mental health issue. Mm-hmm. Like this, this kid maybe at 16 or 15 or 14 could have been reached. We don't have mental health professionals in our school, I, and that's a lot to do with the Republicans. So I would disagree with Jane there hmm. on that issue, that it is all political. The other thing I wanted to, to me, my opinion is everything's political. Um, the other thing I wanted to say, and I'll defer uh, to Lawrence Tribe, he was on uh, MSNBC about the impeachment issue, yeah. and he was saying that the Democrats are doing everything that you would be doing in a normal impeachment thing. So maybe they just aren't saying. But he he's saying, and he's a constitutional law professor at Harvard. Yeah. So and according to him, what he said. Yeah, so, we had, uh, and I got to run, yeah. uh, Marlene, I appreciate yeah. that call. We had uh, Will Bunch on the show a couple of weeks ago was talking about, yeah, this is impeachment is moving forward. It's just a shadow impeachment. They're not using that word. Hey, guys, I got to get out. My apologies to those of you still on hold that I couldn't get to. Uh, drives me crazy. We need more time. We will be back, however, tomorrow. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my soundboard operator, D'Angelo Jones, to my guest today, Ramon Galindo of NBC7 in San Diego, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at the Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.